Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. improves children's health by developing better treatments and technologies. Ranked number five in the nation, we take on the most complex, rare, and life-threatening conditions because all children deserve a healthy future. Learn more at childrensnational.org innovation. Uh, yeah, what's up, everybody? Cover Band Central Wisdom Hour, number 26. I am Steve Witchell in New Orleans. Yeah, Tony B coming to you live from New Jersey. Yes, Episode sir. 26. 26, dude. We started this whole 26 thing. 26 episodes ago. 26 <laughs> episodes ago. But we started it. I, I found this out. Uh, we started this a year ago last week. So we've averaged... One every two weeks, but we haven't. It's been a little bit more sporadic than that, obviously. Yes, it has, but we are going to improve on that ratio and try to do one a week. We keep promising that, and then schedules uh, conflict and things like that. And I end, end up worlds collide. Worlds collide. <laughs> uh oh, what did I just do? I didn't mean to do that. Uh oh. All right. What's going on, brother man? How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I have to check something real quick because I think that this might not be working properly because I'm getting... Uh-oh, that is not good. Oh, wait. I can hear it, though. Wait, hang on a second. Okay, it's working all right. It it looks weird when I look at the uh, the the sort of meter on the... Uh, when I, I clicked on it live here to see, I actually did it by accident, but um, but then I see the sort of the meter thing going and it looks weird, but then I heard it, so it sounds okay. 
All right, so we're good. So I want to sh- make sure I share this. It's on the Cover Band Central page right now where people can click and listen, and I'm going to share it to the group as well, which has been growing and growing and growing. Cover Band Central. All right. Post. There we go. Expanding. Yes. So, yeah, the, the, gr- the group... Um, I'll tell you where we're at right now, numbers-wise. We are at 36,513 members in the CBC group. And on the page, dude, the page is fun. The page Uh, is... Hang on, hang on. We're we're, uh, approaching 94,000 people. 94,000. On the page. So, yeah. It's been growing steadily, and um, th- and we will reach a hundred thousand before I would say by May, probably. Is on the imminent forefront. And let me just make sure this went into the group. There it is. Okay, all right, we're good. One hundred k. The group, the the group thing. I, I had been getting about, uh, you know, like one hundred fifty, two hundred new requests a day for several months and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it just dropped um and i was getting like a couple dozen a day and i was like what is going on and that happened that was going on for a couple weeks and then all of a sudden it went just back up and it's not quite at the level it was at now but it's still over 100 a day between 100 and 150 a day so I don't know, something weird with Facebook's algorithm or something. I don't know, but it it uh, yeah, it might have been the trade embargo. China, you know, talks that might have scared people off. I don't know, man. It's you know you can't really figure it out. There's no real. You, you can do your research on algorithms and and all this stuff and try to do the best you can, but uh, see, a lot of it is chance. Mm. You know. I wonder if algorithms have rhythm. Of course they do. They're algor. That's Al, Al Gore rhythms. <laughs> Our former <laughs> former vice president rhythms. Just goes to show that vice presidents have you know play bass or drums, right? Um, so let me make sure I get comments up. Oh, here we go. Okay, comment thing. Oh, and there is Alec. Of course, is in. Alec is my right hand man in the Carbon Central Group, and I have not spoken to him um, about CB stu- CBC stuff in a while. But he says, "Evening, fellas." Good evening, Alec. Good evening, fellas, he says, basically. All right. Um, so. Buenas noches, Alec. <laughs> so what's been going on, man? I, I know you played, I don't know, Tell fill me in on what you've been doing gig-wise. We haven't done this in a month, uh, a, a Wisdom Hour. So what, what's going on? Yeah, Wisdom Hour in a month. So what's been going on in a nutshell? Um uh, lots of stuff been going on, dude. So gig-wise, um, I had one or two gigs, nothing remarkable, just um, some filler stuff. We're playing, uh, actually getting back into like a rehearsal routine to learn a whole bunch of new tunes or goals like, you know, pile on like 20 or 30 songs by the summer. Pretty aggressive. But, um, you know, we're going to add to the repertoire, change some things up, uh, add some new tunes to the catalog, some more current radio-friendly stuff mixed in with some older stuff, 
but primarily newer. And then, um, you know, I turned 50 in January. Oh, boy. And I said it was oh it was Tony 2.0, so I was going to step up and uh, do something remarkable, like I always try to do. And turns out at, at, at work, you know, during my day gig, we sponsored a Biggest Loser Challenge for uh, – Four quarters. So first quarter competition, second quarter competition, third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever, based on percentage of weight, you know, that you would lose. So it's fair for everyone, you know, so someone can weigh 150 pounds, someone can weigh 300 pounds, and it's all percentage-based, right, uh, depending on how much weight you lose. Okay. And then we had individual, and then we had teams, too. So you have, we had teams of three. And the prizes are pretty significant, like their uh, first-place individual is like 500 bucks cash and uh, vacation for two, all expenses paid anywhere in the United States you want to go. I want to go to Hawaii. Yeah, continental United States only. Um, and then the winning team gets uh, a 2016 Corvette Stingray convertible to split for what? three months. What? Yeah, so each person gets the car for a month. Wow. Pretty slamming, right? Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I committed to, you know, me and my team committed the effort and said, you know, like we always, like I said, you know, try to do something remarkable. So long story short, I won uh, the individual grand prize and my team won the team grand prize. Wow. So we clean swept out of 53 people that entered 17 teams. Uh, and... Uh, the other guy on my team, my uh, my friend Mark, also, uh, you know, I lost like almost 15% uh, of my weight, from my total starting weight, and he lost like 14.87. Wow. So it was like 0.2, you know, tenths of a percent that separated us. So it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really good. Well, that deserves... A round of applause. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, but I guess the, the moral of the story is just like anything, right? The perseverance, the d discipline, dedication to any goal, you know, whether it be band or personal or professional, you know, the only way that I could have done it, A, was with, you know, support of my team. You know, we pushed each other to do it. But also when I made the conscious commitment to, you know, to, to eat right and exercise five to six days a week. And the only time I can do it was before work because after work I have, you know, podcast or rehearsal or gig or some other activity that's going to prevent me from working out at night. So for 90 days, at least Monday through Friday and even sometimes on Saturday, I took Sundays off. Um, I had no sugar, no alcohol, and I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, to work out before work. I did 15 miles a day on the bike. And then a half an hour weightlifting training. No kidding, man. Good for you. That's that's yep. serious and then I discipline. Ate, you know, ate super clean. And believe it or not, I lost thirty pounds. I don't know where I lost it from, for but I, somehow I was down. Wow! So at ninety 30. days, you did that. Ninety days. Yeah, it started January first, and it just ended the first quarter, uh, April first. And now, are you just eating pizza and hamburgers? <laughs> I did last week because, um, you know, it was it ended on Friday, so I waited till Sunday, which was Easter. And then I had a couple of scotches. I had a you know, you big go. meal. I had dessert. 
And then I was off the last week with spring break, went looking at colleges with my youngest son. And, um, you know, I didn't go crazy because I just worked my ass off to lose all that weight. So I don't want to put it back on again. Right. But, um, you know, 30 pounds for me was just, un, it's, it's unmaintainable, uh, you know. So I put back on five since then. And that, that's like my high school weight. And that's pretty much where I'll stay. Damn. So I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable there. Yeah. So. Wow. You wouldn't even recognize me if you saw me, brother. <laughs> That's good. Congratulations. So, I, um, but have you been playing? Have you had any gigs in the last month of note? Um, no, nothing notable. Like I said, we played that one gig during the snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we had a private party that uh, got, fell through. Uh, unfortunately, like it was booked and it was unbooked. And then uh, the guy was last minute type of thing, you know, called into the website and, and wanted to do it. We rallied, everyone was available, we were ready to do it, and then uh, it, it fell through. But we're in the process now of uh, we're revamping the website because it's long overdue and then it crashed. And so that's that's been a little bit of an issue. But, you know, we committed, you know, to not playing the bar gigs because of everyone's schedule and, uh, you know, just the opportunities that were there for the private stuff. But we may supplement with some uh, bar gigs just to, just to play, you know, to, just to get out once a month and, and just play consistently. Sure. So just doing the private stuff, but, yeah. uh, it's been good. I've been, I've been playing myself, you know, a, a lot. Like I was off last week. I got to play every day at home. So I've been playing, um, more than I have in, in recent weeks just because I had a little bit of time off there. So I took advantage of that. Do you, when you jam at home, do you just like work, do you just, just play your drums or do you like put on headphones and play along with songs or or what's or do you mix it up? How do you? No, what I've been doing lately is I've been I've been putting click on and then playing to a click, both grooving to a click and soloing to a click, and just playing with a click, um, which is always enjoyable because it, it really gives you you know it solidifies your time and it helps you to really lock in and play. Um, typically, I don't play along with many songs. Like if I learn songs, I learn them in the car. And then, you know, when we get to the gig or the rehearsal, I just, I play them, but I don't really have a lot of time to practice songs at home per se. Hmm. It's always been something that I've, I've had a good, um, you know, I have a good aptitude for learning cover songs without having to play along to them. Right. Like I just listen to them and learn them and, and get the parts down. And then when it comes time to play, it's, you know, just play it. But an interesting thing, which has been real fun is, uh, you know, my youngest son's been playing a lot of drums lately and, and piano. He just picked that up, too. And he's been playing along to a lot of Rush. So he's been asking me on, you know, you'll learn 90 percent of the song. And then he'll say, this is one fill I can't figure out. Can you show it to me? So that's been fun because I've been like showing him, um, you know, some pretty cool, complex, intricate type fills, right. um, you know, playing them on one set and he's on the other set because I, I have four sets set up. So we have plenty of drums four? to play. Four? You have four sets? <laughs> yeah, I got four sets of drums set up. I got my my gig set. I got the oh. mega set, and then I have a, another small practice set, and then I have uh, another big set that I I built for him. To wow! Play. So I have you know three you know ones. Uh, I got a six piece, and then he plays a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten piece, and then I have the you know the thirty piece mega kit. Dude, that's great. I, I wish I could have a place where yeah. I could have a drum set and just play. Because I, I think I could be a good drummer if I had a drum set and I could practice. Because I, I have really good timing. Um, I'm ambidextrous. 
Yeah, you know what's cool though? When you have four different sets, they're completely different sounds, right? And then I have right. some snares set up, a practice pit, so I have an electronic drum set downstairs with an amp, and I have a keyboard, and I have a xylophone. So I have a whole right. arsenal of stuff to play, you know? So, so at any given time, we can jam, me and both my boys can jam at the same time. One can play keyboard. Like the other day, uh, Cole was playing subdivisions on keyboard. He's like, hey, check out what I learned. And he learned like the whole subdivisions keyboard part, you know, with the solo and everything. Just, you know, sat down, listened to it by ear and picked it up and started playing it. So he jammed subdivisions on keyboard and I played along with him on, on one of the kits. That was fun. That's super cool. So what's it? I mean, I always wondered this because I've seen drummers in like YouTube videos playing along with a song, you know, and they'll, they'll have headphones on. And I think if, if I was playing drums, I would want to play along with the track just to kind of feel like I'm in the song. But I wouldn't know really how, unless you have like a PA where you can crank it and nobody's going to complain about the volume or you're doing it with headphones on. Yeah, so like what I'll do is I have my mixer, I have my whole kit mic'd, you know, my, my gig kit, right? right? So it's it's just a uh, five-piece kit, double pedal, you know, two crashes, China, ride, hi-hat, just essentials. But I have everything mic'd into my mixing board, into headphones. And then I take my phone or an iPod and I just put it into the a channel, input it, you know, route it through the, the headphone to the monitor channel, mm -hmm. and then I can mix it. So I can mix the drums with the music in the headphones. So I can make the drums right. louder, right. softer, music louder, music right. softer, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, like, like, so, yeah, because when I, when I practice bass along with songs, I like to have it so that I feel like my volume is equal to the, the volume of the other instruments and, and sort of putting myself in the song or in the studio with the, the band. Like when, when I first, when I first started playing bass, I would, um, I had an amp in my bedroom and I had my stereo, so I would crank my stereo and crank my amp just enough so where I'm not, so more, so I'm, I'm feeling like I'm in the mix, you know, like I'm playing bass on this track with Iron Maiden or whoever, you know, oh, yeah. or with Rush. Um, but then, and then I'll do the same thing with now, but learning songs, I do it, I do it all in headphones. I just, I have the mixer, I put everything through the mixer and bass, it's easy, it's easy, you know, you just go direct into a mixer and, and you're fine. You know what's cool about the headphone part, right, is that you can mix it. It sounds really rich. It sounds great. You know, you get a good version of the song. It's not, you can, you know, you can, you can level it all out. But right. Much like you said, when I was younger and lived at home, my parents, God bless them, I used to have band practice at my house because I was a drummer, right? So I couldn't play Oh, yeah. The drummer's so house was always the band practice house. Usually it's the drummer's house because, hey, man, I'm not hauling my drums to over to your right. place. So, so I had the mega kit set up. You know, at the time it was like... Uh, 14 piece I think you know it was it was uh was not movable had the cage and everything but long story short I had the full PA you know two 18s two 15s horns crossover a whole rack of equipment mixing board everything and we used to have you know like you just said Russian Iron Maiden concert fest at my house uh when we weren't having band practice I would put it through the PA you know, at mega volume enough to play along to it at full drumming volume. And it would sound like a record. Like it was all even like you had said, you know, and like you were in it. I remember we used to put on right. exit stage left every day after school and play it top to bottom until, you know, my parents came home from work. Yeah. That drum solo on exit stage left is I, that's one of the most classic ever drum solos ever in the history of rock and roll. Yeah. When you have it cranking through a, a PA, you know, and it's funny you say that because what I would do is I'd play the whole album, and when that part would come, I would stop playing. 
and listen to the whole solo, you know, like not like I could play it at the time I had learned it and I did it for a talent show, but it was just the presence and the the bigness of it through a a full PA, you know, at crank volume. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just awesome. A lot of fun. You know, cool. I've done that a couple of times here when I, you know, my new house where I live, but it's just, it's not the same cause I don't have the, that PA anymore. You know, it's just not as robust, but, right. um, you got to really get the volume cranking, you know, to compete with drum wide open drums at full, full, uh, you know, intensity of playing. Like, you know, you're playing all out for right. volume drums are extremely loud, you know, yes. especially the Yamahas I have. They're like the, the loudest drums I think that they make. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny, man. Because yeah, when we were kids, you, you, we always had to go to the drummer's house to rehearse. It was <laughs> always. It didn't matter what band it was. It was always the drummer's house. It was always like the basement or the garage. And that's yeah, where my parents. My parents had a by level. Like you walk in the front door, and you know the stairs went up, and then to the right was like a giant room with a fireplace. And we basically took over that entire downstairs room was like a studio. So when you like my parents had people over, they yeah. walk in and be like, "Holy shit, what's going yeah. on over here?" And but the exception like when group? I when I got a little older, the exception was like at, when I was playing in bands that were a little bit more established and and stuff. Then we had like a rehearsal space. Like I was in this band called Exire, which I've never talked about on CBC, or I don't even think I've talked about it much with you. But um, Exire um, was I was about. 18, 19 years old, and we rehearsed at the guitar, uh, one of the, the guitar player's house. There was a, a rhythm guitar player and then lead guitar player, and he was the lead guitar player was also the singer. But the drummer just brought his... We rehearsed in this guy's basement, and the drummer just had his kit there, and it was just set up there all the time unless we were gigging. Right. And then, uh, and then with Little Sister, we had a rehearsal room at... It wasn't anybody's house. It was where, where I lived, where and the the guitar player lived and it was actually the singer's mother's house that we were renting a room and we had this other room where we rehearsed and again the drums were just set up there all the time unless we were gigging so um yeah because drums you know to haul around drums all the time it's uh it's a lot of work oh yeah and especially at that time you know with the with the, you know we we're playing with eye the storm and so the, the kit was like you know, six, eight, and ten concert toms, eight, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen rack toms, all on a cage, double bass. Oh, yeah, it's the eighties. You had the big kits, you know, <laughs> the big right? mega eighties kit, exactly. And uh, you know, but we used to gig with that kit. Like we would go out with that was the rig, you know. So we'd play. I can't tell you how many times we played, and the guys were like, "You can't bring that here anymore." You know, like you guys just have too much stuff. <laughs> But at the time, you know, we you couldn't play it on a five piece kit, you know. Oh, you couldn't man. duplicate the sound and we and we had walls of sound, you know. I remember playing with this guy Rich and he had like uh twin turbo sound eighteens. This is a bass rig, right? Two turbo sound eighteens, a fifteen, uh, a, a horn what? and uh you know, a whole rack of equipment with crossover and everything like that, and it would be like he would it would be on three volume wise, you know, and he would hit that first note, he had a five string bass, he'd hit like that the, the low note and Immediately, the club owner would be like, "It's got to be like half that volume guy." I don't know what you're thinking, but like, it can't. And he's like, "I'm on three. Like, I'm not even. Tur- it's not even turned up at all." Oh man, that's funny. so. Yeah, the, the overkill of the '80s, right? '80s and '90s, just bringing way, way too much gear. Now I bring like you know, an 18-inch kick, a 10-inch rack, a 14-inch floor, a crash, and a, you know, hi hat and, and ride. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's it. it. It's it's so much easier now. So much easier now. 
because you just don't have to bring much stuff. Like, uh, but I miss anyway. it though. I will tell you, like we, I have played, and I'll send you some pictures. I, I have brought out, you know, um, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I, I brought out eleven, twelve piece kit on a Weisenheim <laughs> gig, just just for the fun of it, you know. Right? Why not? I mean, if you, if you're okay with the hauling stuff around and setting it all up and breaking it down, and you're and you're having fun doing it, then why not? Why not? Well, you know what it is? It's not that's so much. That's not so much the fun part. But when you've been conditioned to, you know, we did it for so many years, you know, I mean, for like 15 years well, dude, right. with, with mega well, like uh, band packed to the hilt with equipment. And then all, everyone brought their own stuff. And, you know, it was mainly drums and PA in the van. And I think, you know, the, the joy of it is that once it's all set up, it's just so much fun to play on a big kit like that. You know what I mean? Because you have so many yeah, that's colors, what I mean, yeah. sounds and palettes to choose from, you know, of course, you can't do it in a bar because it takes you an hour to break it down. And they're like, let's go. We got to go wrap it up. Right. At a private party, no one cares. You can bring whatever you want. Right. Well, fun in that it's worth it because of of the value get you get out of the enjoyment of playing all those percussion instruments. Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. So it's like, so you're not like complaining that oh, I got to bring all this stuff down. You know, it's like no, that was a great gig. I had I had a blast. I you know I played all these things, these yeah, cool things. And, you know, funny enough, like real quick, I'd say a quick like little um, snapshot of stories of how that big kit. You know, from going from places where they would say, you're an idiot, man. You shouldn't be bringing this much stuff. You'll never bring this much stuff. You know, in five years, you'll be worn out. And we were like, dude, we've been doing it for 12, 12 years running, you know, and we're, we're bringing it every, everywhere we go. And I remember playing a gig, and uh, I met Joe Bergamini, who was playing with Eternal Vision at the time. He plays on Broadway now. He's played with, you know, so many notable uh, acts, professional oh, yeah. drummer. Joe's great. And yeah. he came up He came up to me at Cricket Club in Irvington, and he said, you know, I just had to meet the guy who brought more drums than I did. And uh, we became great friends, and he introduced me to Dom Famularo, and I became great friends with him. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have had that same experience if I didn't have the big kit, you know what I mean? Because that's what started right. the conversation with that. Right. And then, um, you know, another instance was, you know, that was one time when, when I met Joe, and then, uh, you know, several other occasions because of the sheer size of the kit and bringing it to wherever we were, people would come up to me and I would, you know, strike up friendships or, you know, just get opportunities from it where, uh, you know, like uh, I played a, a gig one time in, in a club we had played for years and I didn't know that it was going out of business. You know, the guy was going to sell the club. He didn't tell anybody. And uh, we were playing there and I had the mega kit and I knew the guy who owned the club. He was also behind the bar that night and he was a drummer. And uh, because I had the giant mega kit, when I, it came time for me to do a solo, and I used to take like, you know, a five or ten minute drum solo back in the day, like it was a big event, you know, and we had the lighting guy and uh, all kinds of special effects going on, like sparklers and, you know, things like that. It's like stupid strobe lights. And anyway, I invited him up and he came up and he, we double drummed on the big kit. Like we both stood up. And we each played a bass drum standing up because it was a double bass kit. And he played the right side of the kit and I played the left side of the kit. And then we switched. And then he played the left side of the kit and I played the right side of the kit. And we did this big finale. And then he jumped off the stage and I kept going. And when we were all done, uh, the end of the night, he came out and he was like all teary-eyed. And he said, you know, he said, when I turn the light off in the bar, he said, you know, I'm closing the bar. It's one of the last nights it's going to be open, he said. And when I turn the light off in the bar the drumsticks that I used during that solo were on the counter and the street light was shining through the window on the drumsticks. He said, and I've had this bar for 10 years and tonight was the first night I ever made music in my own bar. 
and I did it with you on that giant drum set. And he said, I, I couldn't be more thankful that, wow. you know, what way for me to end my, my run with, with this place after, after 10 years. Wow. And That's he kept cool. the sticks and we embraced and he gave me this, this that denim jacket that he had that Bruce Springsteen gave him and he wanted me to have it. And it was a Saturday Night Live, like special edition jacket, it was a really nice jacket. And he's like, nah, he's like, you know, Bruce gave this to me and I told him I didn't want it. And he said, give it to somebody that you, you want to have it. And he said, and I want you to have it. And I still have that jacket to this day. Wow. That's super cool, man. What a great story. Yeah. But if I hadn't had brought the big kit, he, I wouldn't have had, you know, I wouldn't have invited right. him up to, to double drum with me, obviously, right. you know, a small kit. Right. Um, but the mega kit was like a jungle gym, you know, you could play, there was, you know, right. hundred, hundred sounds on it. Right. And, uh, it was just great. So like, you know, stuff like that. And those are just like along the way, you know, the journeys of, of the things we experience as musicians and, and the people we meet and, you know, the circumstances we find ourselves in sometimes are, are otherworldly, you know, or yeah. it, it's all, you know, the, the influences and things that happen can go far reaching way beyond what we know, you know, out of our common ordinary, you know, like I said, for 15 years, we, we brought all this equipment with us. And over those years, like I said, I have a dozen more stories like that of just people that we met that I'm still friends with today that I probably wouldn't have had a conversation with if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, I was an idiot and brought like, you know, <laughs> some, some some giant drums that took two hours to set up and you know I had five guys helping me right that, you know that reminded me time. a lot of fun that reminded me of a story um, I, I have these sort of in my mental Rolodex of, of great New Orleans stories I've been here for almost eight years now and I have played whew, at least 1500 gigs here um, it's, oh, in, probably, it's, yeah, at it's, least. it's in that ballpark uh, for eight years, you figure. I mean, I've done the math before in my head, so it's it's around there. But there's there's a few things that stick out to me, and one was um, sh my drummer Sean, who's what's up, Chonk? Chonk just joined us. Kimberly's here too. It's the team. Alec, Kimberly, and Chonk are the the ones that are letting us know that they're listening. Anyway, um, but anyway, so I, I played this gig with Sean, and this was early on when I've known Sean and you met Sean he's the drummer at the swamp yeah sure great guy um great drummer um and he's the band leader in the current band I play in at the swamp but when I and he this the, the sort of uh beginning of this band we were playing at a different club it was called voodoo vibe and it's no longer uh voodoo vibe it's something else now and uh it was a the, the oddest setup we we were if you're walking on Bourbon Street, you would see the band, you would see the back of the band, but sort of in the corner facing away from Bourbon Street towards the, the inside of the club. And there were a couple bars there. And it was all, there was all this, there was this like chrome, silver chrome wall thing. It was, and tile on the floor. It was a very strange setup. Anyway, I did a sub gig with his band there. And... He he was doing a solo, and I think it was it must have been like rock and roll or something like that. And there weren't a whole lot of people in the club. There were there were a few people. It's not not a big club. Um, so during the solo, he picks up his floor tom, and he walks it out into the middle of the dance floor of you know of the club, and he's got sticks with him, and he's just doing a solo just on the floor tom. And then he had other sticks with him, and, he, and he's handing it to other people, and they're coming in, and they're playing on this floor time. And it was just, for me, it was just this incredible, spontaneous, creative moment 
that I, I just, I, I, I was feeling the chills of, of that, of just that the, 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 uh, the unique nature of that spontaneous action. You know, he just, he wasn't, it wasn't planned or anything. He, he was just like, I'm going to do this. And, and he did it. And it was just so freaking cool, man, to, to involve people like that and do something that's so completely different than what you would normally expect. So I love that kind of thing, man. Especially and you know why that is, Steve? Because drummers are fucking <laughs> kings. That's why they sit on a sit throne, on a throne right, and no right. fucking guitar players or keyboard players are doing any shit like that. Well, <laughs> keyboard players play the guitar, and then they they'll go out and they'll stand on the bar yeah, with like their Jan, Jan Hammer or their wireless guitar and stand on the bar and pose. And <laughs> but that's killer, man. Yeah, hats off to Sean. That's fucking great. Yeah, that was yeah. that was and really people fun. think that too because they don't really need any. You know, anyone can bang on the drum, right? Anyone can pick up sticks and just like wail away and have a good time. If you hand someone a guitar, you know, it may uh, it's yeah. not going to sound good, right? Yeah. You know, or a bass or some kind of you know um, instrument that you actually have to know how to play. Whereas any drunk person that you hand sticks can bang on a drum and have fun, and it doesn't right. matter if it sounds good or not, or if it's, it's just, in time or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or it's not in time, but. Yeah, something about drum people just like to, to bang on the drum. Yeah, we've had people like we get up, up on stage and hand them a cowbell and they just cowbell that. And yeah, or tambourine's another good one. Tambourine, yeah. Percussion. Yeah, any sort of percussion instrument. I mean, that happens all the time here in New Orleans. Where yeah, but that's great. That's killer, like man. That. Yeah, like that was just, that was one that stuck out to me that was just, I felt it in the moment. I was like, wow, this is such a, a profound, cool moment of spontaneous musicianship and entertainment and yeah, you know awesome. it's been awesome that was that was great good stuff i mean the so i i wish i've written down all the different things that that have happened here like i started for a while i was doing like a sort of a, a gig video blog at first i did it as an audio thing and then i was doing it a video and i was calling a gigorama and i would you know do my gig and then come home and talk about it um but like there's so many like you know like 1500 gigs they just they come and go and it's you, you have no recollection of anything it's so there's because it's so frequent and and repetitive in a way but always different too so oh yeah but i mean that that's another great experience right about playing in a band the things you see and the events that transpire and just things that you would not normally come across you know like the stories that you get to, to, to tell later about experiences, about things that transpired are always good. Yeah. By the way, people, uh, I still keep getting messages from people or people that are joining the Cover Band Central group that are like, I want to join because I love the podcast. So it, it, this goes out on iTunes. Um, so people can, people are stumbling upon it on iTunes too. So um, it's kind of cool that we're getting that audience from people, just from you and I talking about stuff. <laughs> well, I think it's like it, it could be anything, right? It's organic. It's real. I mean, you know, depending on what topic may come up or, you know, when people write in and, and, and ask things. I mean, it could be informational. It could be fun. It could be stories. It can just be, you know, it's just life. It's organic. It's just real, you know, and it, it's it, it's refreshing and, you know, it, it's enjoyable for me to do it with you because, you know, the things that we do talk about is based on, you know, I mean, I've been playing drums over 40 years. You've been playing bass over 40 years, you know? 35. 35 you know, years I've been yeah, playing. And gigging, you know, for at least all of, that years. of those years or 30 of those no, years. I, I you mean, know? I started gigging really right away. I, I, I mean, I played my first gig 
when I had been playing bass for like two months, I played my first gig. And I, because I dove right in, man. When I first started playing, I was gangbusters. I was taking private lessons, I was taking music theory, and I was jamming with my friends all at the same time. So I got this education from all these angles, and I was so into it. You know, I was, it, it was just like, I was reborn at that time. I, that was like, I found the thing that I really, really love. And yeah, so I've been basically gigging for 35 years too. Yeah, same here. And I was lucky enough where my father was a, a drummer, you know, semi-professional, and he played in, you know, a concert band, a marching band, a jazz band, a big band, you know, uh, a wedding band. He just played, and, you know, he was, he was always gigging, like constantly. And he had so many gigs that, he would be double booked a lot of the time. So he would, you know, when I was really young, he would take me on gigs and let me sit in, you know, when I was like eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And it was like a novelty thing. Like, Hey, look at this kid. He's playing drums, you know, and he's young. <laughs> right. And then once I became a teenager and I became real proficient, then he would say like, Hey, I need you to cover this gig for me. It's, you know, and I didn't drive, you know, so he would like, my mom would have to drive me to the gig and, you know, I'd have to bring the drums and whatever I could fit in the car. And then, you know, it was like a big band gig with all sight reading. And, you know, to your point, it was great because, like, I, same as you, I took lessons, I jammed, I was in cover bands, but I was also in, like, filling in these concert bands or parade bands and things where you had to read, you know, and it forced you to read because when you're on a gig, you know, it, it, it's sink or swim, right? Sure. Um, but that exposure to that at a young age, you know, uh, especially back in, in, in that era, that time, you know, 70s, 80s, uh, you know, was a very formative time for me to, to, to learn the instrument and get exposure. Like, you know, like you said, you could take lessons for five years, you know, you, you play one year of, of gigs, you play 10 gigs in a year, you know, at, at a young age like that, you're, you're way ahead of everybody else your age, you know, cause right. you've got a ton of experience, you know, and you've interacted with live musicians and especially playing with, you know, a 40 piece concert band or a 20 piece big band or marching in a parade with, you know, 40 other people. And you're, you know, just playing a snare drum and walking along. It, it's the, the, those interactions at, at a young age really, um, you know, were things that I, I look back on now. And at the time it was just like, oh, you know, my dad's waking me up at eight o'clock on a Saturday because some guy called and sick for the parade and I got to go march with him. Like, I don't feel like doing this, you know. <laughs> what, were you pl what were you playing in the marching band? Were you just playing like a, a bass drum or a snare or? Um, it would be like when, when he played in, well, the marching band was always snare. So it would be like, you know, we would, he would say like, oh, snare guy called and sick. So we had to go play, you know, we had to go march in this parade. And it was like, you know, Washington Post March and Stars and Stripes Forever and all these, you know, you know, marching cadence type songs. But then concert band would be like, I need you to play timpani. You got to play bass drum. Got to play drum set. Got to play snare drum. Got to play, um, you know, percussion part, shaker, tambourine, chimes, you know what I mean? But there was all written music for it. So I got a good exposure to jump around and play a bunch of different stuff. Right. And, and if you were playing in the big band, it was just drum set, you know. But right. you're driving the band in a big band, you know, so you're sure. the only guy. There's, there's, you know, there's five saxophone players and, you know, trumpet section and clarinets and, you know, bass guitar and regular rhythm guitar and, you know, stand-up bass and all these guys. And there's only one drummer, you know, so you're you're in the hot seat for sure. Um, but it was, you know, it was, like I said, it was fun. It was good stuff. And then I got to play rock and roll, you know, with my friends and, and play contemporary music. But that exposure was, right. you know, a lot of cats that I met growing up had only played in one genre, you know. Like no one was playing in a concert band or marching band or, you know, so that exposure 
helped me to be very well-rounded later on when I took lessons and had other opportunities, you know, it was like, oh yeah, I know how to read or yeah, I, I can play that or, you know, I, I've done that. And like I said, the, the exposure and experience to being able to play with live musicians, there's no substitute for that. So there's one thing I could recommend to anyone is like, you know, try to play with as many people as you can in as many different situations and don't be afraid, you know, that you're not going to be real, you're not going to be the best at it or right. you're going to be out of your comfort zone, you know, because right. at a young age, I didn't have a choice. So it was like, I'm going to concert band on Wednesday night. It's a rehearsal, you know what I mean? But they're short, uh, so-and-so. So yeah, I need you to come with me. And then I would come and then I would play whatever. And then same thing, like with the big band, you know, it was no pressure, like, oh, you're coming in and we're going to audition you. It was like, I was a drummer's son, you know what I mean? And, oh, that's cool. He tagged along with you and, you know, he's 12 years old and it's like, holy shit, he can actually play. Right. So let's put him to work, you know, and have him do this and get him on that. And it was just, you know, a lot of fun. So right. I would encourage anyone to play outside because, you know, the thing too is, and you know, again, you realize it later in life that, you know, playing with, let's say, a concert band where there's, you know, 32 bars of rest that you have to count where you're doing nothing, right? But on that 33rd downbeat, you have to come back in with a cymbal swell or a pair of crash cymbals, you know, something that's orchestrated. And there's a conductor, you know, and there's 30 other people playing. It's a whole different, unique experience, you know, to hear flutes and woodwinds and hear, right. you know, and listen, they're not world-class musicians like a Philharmonic, you know what I mean? Right. But they're 30 dedicated musicians, people that took the time to get, you know, that dedicate their time to playing in this concert band. And they perform, you know, six times a year at whatever events that they may do, but they rehearsed every week, you know? And yeah. it was always at least 25 people there, you know? It wasn't like, ah, uh, we only got... 11 people this week, you know, like they were committed to doing it. And it was just cool to be able to play that. And then playing in the big bands, a whole nother experience, you know, with all that type of music and genre. And how do you push a band, you know, when you're playing in a swing band, you know, with two and four in the hi-hat and real subtle four on the floor and the bass drum and accents. And, you know, it develops you, you have to play so many different styles and get so used to playing. And you know, it was a great, great, uh, video on YouTube of Vinny Caluda, you know, drummer, played with Sting, played with Zappa, he played with, you know, played on hundreds of albums. And uh, Dom Familiaris interviewing him, and he interviews him all about his history and how he got the gig with the Zappa band and what led up to that. And, you know, I'm not going to go into it here, but if you get a chance, you go on YouTube and look at that. And what a magnificent story of how all the things he did that prepared him for when he was able to, you know, audition for the Zappa gig. Because he said when he went to that that cattle call for the Zappa gig, there was like 3,000 musicians lined up. And, right. you know, when he got in the building, guys were only on stage for like 15 to 20 seconds. Wow. And then Frank, Frank was just like, next, yep, no, thanks, thanks for coming, thanks for coming, you know? And he was through like hundreds of hundreds of guys. And then when it was Vinny's turn, he said to him like, um, you know, like real complex stuff like, I need you to, to, to follow th this riff. And he plays some kind of crazy riff on the guitar, you know, and then he'd say to me, now play that on the drums. And duplicate it. Do that a couple of times. Okay, cool. Can you sight read? Yeah. Okay, I'm put up the black page. I want you to play that, you know. And then Vinny had it memorized, so, because he had been rehearsing it. So he played it down, and I guess Frank Sway so wasn't reading it. He's like, oh, you're a smartass, huh? Like, you, you, you memorize. He's like, try this. And he put some other piece of music up in front of him. And then he played that. 
And he's like, play me something in, uh, you know, in 1916 time. Play me something in, in, in this what? time signature. Play, you know, and he made him do all these things. And he said, this was all in the span of less than a minute. And then he was like, all right, go stand over there. I'll get back to you. That's hardcore, man. And then Vinny went and stood over and he was with um, the bass player. I forget the guy's name. And the guy said, did Frank tell you to stay too? And he's like, stand over here. He's like, yeah. He's like, I think it's a good sign because I've seen about 500 guys go out the door. And I'm the only guy that was standing here until you just came. Wow. And that's how he got the gig, you know? And then he said when it was all done, Frank was like, all right, boys, you're in the band. Let's go meet my family and we'll go out to dinner. And he took him to Spago and he had a limo. And, you know, Vinny was like sleeping on his friend's couch, you know? And he, all of a sudden he went to, to being in Zappa's band. But he said that his preparedness, you know, and, and having have played and had been an incredible sight reader and, you know, was right. able to, you know, to, to be a, he's a true master musician, you know, right. on drums. There's, there's no one like him. But it was just interesting how he described his whole thing about all the things you said like he was drawn to music he wanted to take lessons he was good at it he had a passion for it he studied he took it really seriously he asked for extra work to do you know and he really like shedded and practiced every day and was really dedicated to it you know and then he moved to LA because he wanted to you know have a better opportunity to make it professionally right that's awesome but it's, yeah it's just really cool stuff yeah it, it kind of segues into something I want to talk about 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 gigs and and taking gigs and and getting offered gigs because I've done, and I know a lot of people don't do this, but I've done a lot of work as a sub as as a fill in, and I've yeah. done I've done it a lot with with people that I've never rehearsed with or or, or met even. That's how we met. Yeah, th that's how we met. And so, so recently, um, over the last month since we we did the last Wismauer, um. I played with this band out in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, which is an hour and a half away from me. And I, I played two gigs with them so far, and I had never met anybody in the band. I'd never rehearsed anything. I was just sent a set list and showed up. And I'm more like I'm going to take pretty much any gig that's offered to me. If I'm not working already or I'm not doing something that night, if somebody offers me a gig, I'm going to take it. Because even if you even if it's not the ideal gig for you or it's not the ideal situation, you're going to learn something from it. You're going to gain something from that experience of of playing a gig with other people, just with people, just playing a, and in this case the band, they sent me the song list, and I knew pretty much every song already. There were a couple I had to go over. I think there was one I had to learn that I had never played before. But I, you know, I knew this stuff. Because, and I sort of take for granted the fact that I'm playing so often. You know, the the, the whole Bourbon Street thing is we, we play so often, and it becomes so normal and um you become a lot of people become really complacent with it and then when you go outside of of that bubble and play with other people who don't normally do that they just they're weekend warriors or or play once in a while whatever they just don't have the 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 professional chops type of thing of of you know of playing a gig of playing songs right blah 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 so that was really the experience for me with this band they they they're just they they do a really good job. The band leader, he's got a banner. It looks fantastic. He's got these um, 
smoke machine things with lights on them that that burst this this smoke up in the air like straight up like a like a geyser and there's lights on it so it looks like red lights it looks like fire it's 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 on video it looks really cool and and the 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 venue itself had great lighting so on video it looks really good so they take that stuff seriously they put a lot of work into it like all the guys in the band all the the girlfriends and wives come there and it's a big event for them because they don't do it all the time um so you know for me to go into a gig like that it's it's really easy because you know they're, they're they're so invested in 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 you know the 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 event itself you know they've looked forward to it for for weeks or whatever and it's like it's a big deal for them but for me to walk into a situation situation like that it's it's an it's if i know the material it's easy for me to just kind of yeah because they're going to be prepared and they've been gearing up for it and it's yeah. professional and they're bringing all their stuff and they got their a game on and you know they're gonna they're gonna bring it yeah but the thing is they're not really nearly as prepared as somebody like me who plays you know three nights a week or four nights a week or five nights a week because they're just doing it. so you know and and i go into a situation like that and i just i you know i take a back seat to everything i i, I do as i'm told uh, i try to offer you know do you want me to do this thing do you like i i asked the guy do you want me to sing harmonies do you and he said yeah yeah bring your mic sing harmonies so um my goal for a, in a situation like that is to try to either match or elevate what they already have. Um, and I can only do so much as one person in one element of the band, but I felt like I did that for them and they were really very appreciative. I don't know how long I'm gonna, they want me like to be the band member. So I, I don't know if that's going to be uh, something that's, going to work for me but for in the meantime if i'm not working and they want me to play i'm going to go play but i the point was anyway is just you know take work when people offer you to to work and to play if you want to play get out there and do it because even if it's not your ideal situation that you prefer you're still going to gain something from it you're still going to learn something you're still going to grow and you're still going to get better at, at whatever you do that's what yeah, and, and as long as you add value to that situation, you'll be asked back, right? And you'll right. make the situation better by being a part of it. Right. And then it gives you that just that another notch of experience uh, where, you know, like you were talking about this guy playing with Zappa, and you don't know, you don't know what the things that you are going to learn, how they're going to add value to what you do and how it's going to benefit what's coming for you in the future you do, you, you have no way of knowing but right. the more you do that kind of stuff the more you're you're receptive to learning and receptive to um rather as opposed to being critical of it just receptive to your situation and what it is and what you can gain from it and what you can add to it you're just going to build yourself up that much more to be prepared for things that are are unforeseen where like you're you're in an audition where there's thousands of people and then you get the gig why did you get the gig? Well, because you were you did the right things in your journey, in, in, you took the right steps, you had the right attitude, yeah, and and that got you to this place because the universe knows the best way to get to you to the thing that you're really dreaming of doing, um, and you don't. But the best way for you to approach it is is to be open and 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 you know always wanting to grow, 
and not being critical of other people just because like those guys in that band, they're nowhere near as experienced as I am. But I'm not going to go in there and be like, oh, you guys aren't as experienced as I am. You know, I'm going to go in there and, and try to add value and try to try to learn something from it and just be an asset to the situation. You know, and I think that's the best way to really approach it as a musician, no matter what, at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when you're open to being, a, you know, to learning and open-minded and you're looking at it through the eyes of not a beginner, but, you know, like you said, you're just looking to add value and there's no judgment. Um, you know, like they always say, like, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room, you know? Right. I, and I always liked to play with people that I considered to be better than me especially when I was younger, I was like, and, and I had that experience too, where I was in a couple of bands, like I mentioned, Exire and Little Sister, where like Exire, the singer, Neil Casal, you know, he plays now with Chris Robinson's Brotherhood. He's put out, um, uh, Chris Robinson from, uh, Black Crows and he plays yep. in a couple of other original bands and he, he has t like 10 of his own original solo albums. He has done very well for himself. And, you know, I was playing with him in a band when I was 19 and he was very talented then and he considered me talented too and I haven't had that level of success but I've had a different type of success, I suppose. Um, but I learned a lot from just playing with him and then in Little Sister from with playing with Janet and, and uh, my friend Jeff who's a guitar player, Just re they were very good. To me, they were better musicians than I was at the time. So I... I enjoyed that sort of challenge of of let me learn from this situation, and and it's it's tough sometimes with with people, especially sensitive musician types, to to not get down on yourself and be like, oh, you know, I'm never going to be that good. But it's always I always enjoyed that playing with people that are better than me. Yeah, because it's not a competition. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, about correct. You know, it's about like you said, adding value and, and bringing to 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 the, the table what you can do. You know, and what you uh, you know, you're inspired and you've created and, and what you, how you play your instrument, you know, five guys play bass, five guys play drums, five guys, you know, five guys play guitar. They're all going to sound different. They're all going to have a different energy, right? They're a different personality They have a different sound. Um, and that's what makes it so interesting and unique, you know, mm -hmm. like I remember when, uh, Dave Grohl said with the Foo Fighters, you know, when they were auditioning, um, guitar players, you know, um, and, and Pat Smear had left, and then another guy replaced him. I forget who he was. And after like a year, they just weren't taking the vibe, and they weren't on the same page writing, you know. And then they let him go, and they like a different guy. And it was, you know, it was always about the music, but it was always about the fit. You know, they wanted to find the right fit. Um, you know, because you're on the road, right, ten months out of the year with these guys, and you're, you're gonna play oh, yeah. music with them, and you know, it has to be a cohesive environment and the creative juices have to be, you know, flowing in the same direction, right. In order for it to work. Right. Absolutely. So th that, that's always struck me as like, you know, the guy was more than capable of playing the parts, right. But the energy and the ideas that he brought and the style of playing that he, you know, exuded from his instrument wasn't a mesh with the rest of the guys in the band, you know, and that's why, like I said, sometimes you find people that you play with and you just click, you know, right. Instantly you're, you're locked and then hopefully you get to enjoy playing with them for a better part of your life, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I'm lucky with this gig at the swamp. I've been playing basically with the same, same drummer for the whole time, same two guitar players. Yeah. They alternate weeks 
and a couple different singers, but the, the girl, Tracy, who's been in, in the band, she's been in the band for like three years now. Um, so it, it, there, there's such, you know, I am so fortunate and lucky to be able to do what I do in the situation that I'm in where, you know, I play regularly three nights a week, sometimes more with this same band. And there's, there's more often than not, I am just swimming in gratitude of, wow, I am doing this thing that I love to do here with these people that I love. We, we have such a good time on stage. We know each other so well. We have so much fun. Um, and it's, even though we're playing the same songs in the same place, it's always different because life changes. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a good job if you can get it. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. We did a benefit on Sunday afternoon. We did this, um, we, we had done it once before two years ago and it was for, uh, uh, cancer research. Um, and there were four bands and we went on third and it was this big outdoor thing. It was like an amphitheater and a lot of people showed up and it was food and drinks and everything. And we did an hour set that same band, the almighty remedy band, by the way, which by the way, anybody listening now, we have a Facebook page, the almighty remedy band on Facebook. So go check it out. There's a lot of videos and pictures on there too. That was just started uh, a couple weeks ago. Nice. Uh, but we did this benefit, which, and there's a lot of talk in the, in the group, a lot about playing for free, playing for exposure, blah, blah, blah. But in this case, that's for me, that's a worthwhile cause is to play, you know, I mean, it's an hour. All I had to do was bring my bass is in the afternoon. It was beautiful out. It's, um, you know, a bunch of friends there to me, that's worth it for playing to play for free to do something like that. And then we end up playing at night anyway at the swamp on Sunday. So we basically did a, a double sort of, um, yeah, nice. And, um, that's what, uh, that's what I did this weekend. Did that. That's great, man. Rock on. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. And, and I, I got to, there was a lot of photographers, uh, people, photographers there and, and uh, people taking video and stuff. And uh, so there's some good pictures came out of it. So there's always a benefit to to playing for free. There's always something good that will come out of it. If your heart's in it and you're enjoying it, then do it. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, people you, say it all the time, but, you know, you don't you don't play in a band you know, especially when you're young and you're, you know, you're, you're up and coming and, and you're, 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 you want the exposure and so like you're not doing it for the money. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I can remember playing a gig one time and same thing. It was like early days, mega equipment, show up like 10 bands were like eighth band on. You're getting paid by the door by how many people you brought. And, you know, the place shot a video and it's like, oh, if you want a video, it's like 30 bucks. And we're like, cool. And it was like, well, you, you know, you only brought like 35 people. So actually, it, you know, we can give you the video in $5, <laughs> you know, right. and it was five of us in the band. So we each got a dollar and then, you know, we made copies of the video, which was, which was cool. There you go. Nice. You know, but now if someone said, hey, come play this thing, I'll pay you a dollar and give you a video. <laughs> you, you, you probably think twice about it and weigh your options as to a whole what dollar come from that you know you're gonna give me a whole dollar wow yeah. 
Amidala. Oh, man. That's a whole another issue, man, for another discussion. But pay, yes, it's definitely another topic for another evening. But um, hey, and that's something people talk about a lot. And there's memes out there that kind of poke fun at it. And, you know, just the, the making money thing. There's a lot to discuss with that. It is a lot to discuss. We'll, we'll end on the vibe of, you know, play with people that are better than you. If you're the best guy in, in, in the situation, then try to help others to become better. Uh, enjoy it, right? This is what we're here for. Add value. Bring your best foot forward. Don't be afraid to bring a ton of gear because you might meet cool people because of it. And, <laughs> you know, if that's what you do, that's what you do. You know, and that's, and that, like I said, it was, you know, you bring yourself to your music and your creative energies to the situation, right? And no one can play your instrument like you can, you know? Right. Some might be better, worse. It's a matter of opinions. Um, stylistically, right? Creativity, it's all very unique to each individual. And that's what music's all about, right? It's like channeling that energy and that creativity and then bringing it forth through your instrument like only you can. Yeah, it's organic. It's a feeling thing. Music is all about feeling. So, you know, you, yeah. you, you, whatever you're feeling, you're going to pour it into your instrument as long as you're focused and, and you're, you're present. And uh, that's the beauty of it of yeah it's not about chops it's about feel it's about feel all right my friend well <laughs> we are at an hour already there's so much stuff more stuff we could talk about but let's save it for next week i'm not going to promise we're going to do next week because uh you know we're going to try like hell we are going to try like hell so thank you for listening anybody that's live alec kimberly jeff or chunk and um, we'll shout at you again. CurveBandCentral.com. You can still sign up. Visit the page on Facebook, Curveband Central. Like it and join the group too. The group rocks. See you next time. Peace. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.